Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, I want to pause for a quick moment and thank each and every one of you. Why? Because you've helped make this podcast a top 20 podcast on iTunes. Yes, that's right. We are in the top 20 in the business section on iTunes, ahead of Tony Robbins, Susie Orman, Grant Cardone, and Robert Kiyosaki himself. So thank you all for your support and your time and for being a listener to this show. If you have comments, feedback, suggestions, topics for future episodes, please let me know. And if it's just a matter of a rating and review on iTunes, I encourage and welcome you to do that because that's what helps propel this show to reach more and new people and simply referrals. But today's show is really interesting because we're talking about something that relates to massive growth. We're talking about a major demographic and population shift. And, you know, demographic changes in the United States have major implications for investment returns. You have to pay attention. If you haven't, this is something you really need to start paying attention to. You know, of all the facets of economic life, few are as predictable as the impact of population growth and age structure. You know, demographics are often ignored, and I hear very, very few investors talking about it. But, you know, despite the influence they have or they can have, they have a major impact on the markets and on real estate. So you do need to pay attention. Think about this. Right now, there are over 77 million baby boomers and every day, 10,000 of them turn 65 years old. I've heard the statistic a number of times and I'm sure many of you have as well, but that's a big number. And their number one dilemma is housing. That dilemma can be our opportunity, could be your opportunity. So today my guest and I discuss this opportunity that almost anyone can benefit from. Now, I have to be honest, it's not for everyone, but it's good for you to know and to learn about it as this is a demographic shift and trend that will touch and affect everyone, including you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We're all aging, we're all getting older, and at some point in time, we're going to turn 65, and at some point in time, we're going to have a need for housing or a different kind of housing or housing assistance. So this is something to certainly be aware of and pay attention to whether you're involved or not. So once you know how to capitalize on the tremendous need for senior housing, you'll have the tools and the knowledge to protect your family's future while you build a legacy for yourself if you choose to do so. Again, you don't have to, but you need to be aware of this. And, you know, keep in mind that this is, again, not for everyone, but I'd like you to listen to this entire episode because it's not only interesting, but it's a major demographic shift that really needs to be on your radar and you need to be aware of it. So be prepared to have your eyes open wide as we get to that interview here in just a few moments. Hey, it's Buck Joffrey from Wealth Formula Podcast. I know you love real estate investing. I do too. It's the best place to invest your hard-earned money. But what if you could invest the same money in two different places at the same time? That would be even better, right? After all, who wouldn't want to double dip their investment dollars? Well, that's exactly what Wealth Formula Banking allows you to do. It's a strategy used by the wealthiest families in the world, the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and you can use it too. Turbocharge your real estate investing. Go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. 
It's my pleasure to welcome Jean Guarino to the show. Jean is the president and founder of the Residential Assisted Living Academy. He has over 30 years experience in real, in real estate investing and in business. And today, Jean is focused on just one thing, investing in the mega trend of senior assisted housing. Having trained tens of thousands of investors and entrepreneurs over the past 25 years, Jean now specializes in helping others take advantage of this mega trend opportunity. Hey, Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marco. Great to be here. Well, I'm glad you're on. I got to know you several months ago when we went to the Summit at Sea cruise, the real estate cruise, and uh, it was quite an amazing event. And you know, we got to meet a lot of neat and exciting, exciting people. And I got to finally sit down with you and learn about what you're doing. So I thought it was appropriate to bring you on the show and expose this new idea. At least it's new for me, but this exciting opportunity in a growing trend. You know, Gene, let's start off by learning a little bit about you. Why don't you tell us about how you got started in real estate investing and what ultimately led you into assisted living? You know, my story actually goes way back to when I was 18 years old. That was my first real estate transaction. I was a professional musician. We had a recording studio, a music school, and we were doing a lot of different things. And we had a landlord and we were renting a building for two years from when I was 16 to 18. And at the end of that, we just said this building is terrible. The landlord's worse. And we got to either change location or we're just shutting the whole thing down. Walked out the front door, looked up the street, two doors away, we saw a for sale sign. The funny thing about that is it could have been there for months or years and I never even looked for it. You don't see it till you're looking for it. So went up, grabbed the sign out of the yard, brought it back home, started dialing. It was way before cell phones and ended up buying that house. And it was no money down. We had no money. We had no credit. We had no tool. <laughs> So that's how it all began when I was 18, and we've been doing it ever since then. That's amazing. And what led you to assisted living? I mean, was that an assisted living facility? <laughs> no, actually, we were given drum lessons, guitar lessons, and all that, and the recording studio. But we went from that, which we bought that, and we renovated it and sold it for five years later for a $90,000 profit, which in 1982 or 85, that was a lot of money and did fix and flip, did buy and hold. But it wasn't until flash forward many years later that when my mother started to need help with assisted living, and what I mean by that is, you know, my mom was getting older in her 80s. She was starting to be forgetful. And did you take your medication? Not sure. We realized somebody's got to keep an eye on her. And at that point, things get real. You can talk about money and business all you want, but when it's mom, you do things. Things become more important. And we looked at the alternatives and really to take care of a, of a relative, a mom, a dad, a grandma, grandpa, somebody who's older, it's either you invest your time, which is give up other things to be the caregiver, or you hire somebody. So to hire somebody to come into the house is $23 an hour. That's the national average today. And then at that point, you realize, well, gee, eight hours a day, $23, it's going to cost me four or five grand. And you still have to take care of her at night and on the weekend. So at that moment, you start to realize maybe it's time to put that person into a home. And as soon as you say it, you feel guilty. But then we looked, we looked at the alternatives and they weren't pretty. They weren't, they weren't nice. And we realized this is a huge crisis. Millions of people are facing the same thing. And I couldn't find a good solution so that's when I vowed to create it. And that was really the beginning of what I've been doing now for the last five years in residential assisted living. It started with my mom needed help and we created a solution for seniors that do need help 
And it's been a very lucrative ride. And there's a lot of people that want to get into this because they know they're going to get involved one way or the other. Exactly. And I just finished recording an episode right before yours. And one of the things I was talking about with my guests is how many baby boomers there are out there and how many are retiring every day. And, you know, you you read a lot of articles. And for the longest time, I keep reading 10,000 people per day are turning 65 years old. Mm. And, you know, this is just pig in a python. It's just a swelling demographic. Take a moment and explain this demographic and more importantly, the trend here, because, you know, the trend is your friend, as they say. And so when you can take advantage of a growing trend, you can find ways to not only help people, but to profit from it. And that's a pure win-win situation. So talk about the demographics here and the trend. So when we talk about the numbers and the demographics, the trend and the opportunity, it's like looking at a stock chart 10 years in advance. So let me explain what I mean by that. When you look at a chart that shows the age of people and when they were born, there's literally a wall. It's a silver tsunami of seniors, as I call it, around 1946. So 1945, World War ended. Servicemen come home, they get busy, boom, there's a baby. They wait a little bit, boom, there's another one. Before you know it, they need five or six to take care of the farms, the fields, and so on. It's a literal wall, a tsunami. Now, those people, the front edge of the baby boomers, 71, 72, they're not in assisted living, but their parents are or were. And so now that baby boomer generation, 71 on the front end, 10 years from now, when they're 80, 82, 85, those are the ones that will be in assisted living. So they're just 10 years away, and that silver tsunami is a massive increase. You cited a number that we've all heard, 10,000 people a day turning 65. Much more importantly is this one, 4,000 a day are turning 85. Now, when you turn 85, you don't check into assisted living, but there's a lot of people that do at 80, 85, 90, 95. Some people will live their entire life. They'll be in their own home till they're 105. But usually in that early 80s, mid 80s, that's when people start to look at or move into assisted living. So the demographics are on our side. And when you think about what happens in the economies of the world, and the US is a great prime example, everything is about the baby boomers. In 1946, the suburbs started to explode. Franchises, McDonald's, things like that that never existed before. Now they're all over. We just take it for granted. The suburbs, the franchises, all of it. Then the next one that we're in the middle of right now is the aging of the baby boomers. So you see these big communities like the villages in Florida that started off with a few thousand. Now there's 150,000 people who are there in a senior-only community. It's basically, it's independent living. Live there if you want to, take care of yourself, but you have to be 55 or above. That's not assisted living. Assisted living is where somebody's taking care of you 24-7. So the next step for the independent living, when somebody's 65, they're playing pickleball and golf and swimming and cruising. But when they're 85, they slow down. They move into smaller homes, maybe one-story homes. When one of the spouses die and the other one's getting a little forgetful and feeble and they're aging and their kids who are busy taking care of their kids and in their career, they can't take care of them. So that is the crisis on one side and the opportunity on the other. So I wanted to ask you, what is a residential assisted living investment? And based on what you just said, it's really not a senior's home. It's more of a home, a true home that has that assisted living component built in. Is that really what you're getting at here? Pretty much. And let me lay it out so everybody can really understand it. When we talk about residential assisted living, it's two parts, real estate on one side, business on the other. 
So the real estate is a home, a residential home in the middle of a nice neighborhood. It could be the senior's home that they're living in now, but that's not the model we use. We find the right location with the best demographics, and we can talk about that, but the right location, the best demographics, and we buy a home or rent a home. That home itself is now converted, which means grab bars, smooth floors, wide doors, make it senior friendly, senior safe. So now that home itself, instead of having one person or one family, might have six, eight, 10, 12 seniors living in it. So it's a home in the neighborhood. It's a residential home. There's no sign in front, but it's being used as a group home for the elderly. There's caregivers 24-7. They're probably doing shift work. They're there for 12 hours and then replaced by somebody else for 12 hours. Maybe it's live-in, but it's a home, group home for the elderly. Those residents don't drive cars and go to jobs or go out to the library. They're living in the home, and they're there for a number of years, one, two, three years, where they're living those last days in that home being taken care of 24-7. So there's a real estate investment angle, and that's what we're all about But there's also the business side, which there's a lot more money in that side. That's really the magic part of this process. So the greater profit comes out of the operations, not so much the real estate. Is that what you're saying? Correct. You can, you know, and here's the way I put it. If you just want to do the real estate portion, you can own the real estate, lease it to the operator of the RAL, Residential Assisted Living Home. They may be willing to pay you twice the market rent. Why would they do that? Because they're going to be making $10,000 a month in profit even after they pay you high rent. But they're also going to want a five-year lease. They don't want to be there for one year and hope you don't kick them out. They want to be there making their profit for years and years and years. So anybody who's listening who's saying, well, hold it, you're telling me there's a tenant who's willing to pay twice as much and they want a five-year lease. That sounds good. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it sounds very attractive. So as an investor looking from the outside in, I'm trying to figure out if this is an active or a passive investment. Is this a a passive investment strategy or do I need to be more actively involved in putting the pieces together and running this as a business? Just like with your turnkey properties on the single family homes, and I love what you do, Marco, all the different markets you're in, the different levels that somebody can come in and participate in, you have a great model. So just like that, the farther off-site, the more hands-off somebody is, the lower their rate of return. You're doing all the work for them. You're handing them a finished product and saying, you write one check and just get a check a month for the rest of your life. You're good. I'm good. But if somebody wanted to get a higher profit, they would be the ones to go out and find the property, fix it, get the tenant, manage it, do all the nitty gritty and maybe get twice the return. Same thing here with the residential assisted living. If you just want to write a check and invest, you can do that. Right now, you can do that with REITs, real estate investment trusts that do it with nursing homes, hospitals, assisted living, and write a check and get a check. It's as simple as that. If you want to get into the residential assisted living, currently, there's no REITs for that. That's coming. But currently, you would be the one that would either buy the real estate and lease it out, twice the rent, long-term tenant, or maybe you're an investor in Somebody else is the operator. You're writing a check you're investing in. But now, the farther along we go in that path is depending on how much more hands-on or hands-off it is. So let me back up one more level. You can choose. You can be as hands-off as you want. Now, I'm an owner-operator. I own the real estate in one entity, and I operate the business in another. I may not go to the home for a month or two months. Matter of fact, the only time I pretty much do is when we do our trainings in Phoenix, Arizona. People come on a bus tour and come to see the homes. That may be the first time I've seen the home in a month or two. So I'm not at the homes, but there's a manager who's there full time. 
I may not talk to the manager every day or text them or Skype or email them, but if I need to or they need to be in communication with me, we are. So I spend maybe five or 10 hours a week managing the manager. Their job is to hire the caregivers and fill the home and keep it full and take care of all the day-to-day nitty-gritty. I choose to make it pretty hands-off, yet I'm fully in control. Okay, so as an investor, you have an option. You could be actively involved or passively involved. You can just own the real estate and lease it for more than you typically would to a plain vanilla market tenant to the assisted living operator, or you can be involved on both ends of it. You could be the real estate owner, investor, as well as the operator, owner, operator of the assisted living operation, for lack of a better word. Yeah, perfect summary. That was great. Interesting. Okay. I'm learning stuff here and I knew I would. Uh, I mean, like I told you before, this is uh, still relatively new to me. I'm not familiar with this, but I do intend to come out to Phoenix there and and sit through your, you know, one of your trainings here this year and learn more about this because I find it quite fascinating. How do investors fund this this business? I mean, real estate is pretty straightforward. I would imagine you could probably use conventional financing. And if that's true, how do you fund the rest of this? So it's a residential property, non-owner occupied. So Fannie or Freddie for 80% loan to value is common. You can do it uh, with private lenders and investors and so on. So same thing as any other rental property. The balance of it, the down payment, the cash infusion, the fix-up costs, the blue sky for getting any business up and running, all of that could be funded with personal funds, number one, private lenders or investors, number two. And there are bank loans, SBA, USDA. Those are bank-guaranteed loans. It's still a bank loan, but the government guarantees them so the bank never loses, and they never lose money anyway. We all know that. But those loans are available as well. So I like private investors, Marco, because they're easier to deal with. Uh, you know, you can have three out of four things right, and they'll say thumbs up. And with a bank, you can have four or four things that are right, and they say, still not going to lend you money. Right. I like private investors. There's so much cash on the sideline right now looking for a home. It's ridiculous. Uh, everybody is looking for something to do, and there's a lot of people that want to get in this game. I will say this is the easiest thing I have personally raised capital for residential assisted living because everybody, when they see the numbers, they see the need, they see what's happening. They realize this is the place to be. So if you're bringing in private capital and you have a small number of partners, you're essentially creating a small syndication, right? Correct. Yeah. Anytime you bring in, you know, a number of people, it's a syndication. The question is, is it a partnership where it's just, we're both on the deed, you and I are partnering together or kind of a blind pool. 10 people come in and they put their money in and one person makes the decisions. Uh, So it could be a syndication. We have students who do exactly that. So I'm going to ask this question and it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but I like clarity. Is your tenant the operator of the residential assisted living business or is your tenant the, the, uh, the seniors that are living in the property? That's a great question. No, it's That is a really important question. I want everybody to hear me clearly. It's not grandma. It's not the mom or dad, the resident who's in the home. They're not a tenant. So you don't have a tenant landlord relationship with them. You may have a tenant who is a business, an LLC, that's operating the residential assisted living business itself. So that's your tenant. They're the ones that want the five-year lease and you should have them do the, the maintenance on the property and so on, but not grandma. It's not a tenant-landlord relationship with that individual living in the house. It's the entity that's operating the business. Okay. Interesting. 
And so how do the residents pay? Uh, you know, you've got these seniors living there. They may or may not have the money. They might have, you know, some financial support. I don't know, Medicare, or I don't know who covers that. But how, how is, what's the money trail? Where does the money come from and where does it go? With most people who are out there today, even listening right now, they pretty much don't have a plan for their long-term care. So most people will end up just spending all of their money. And then at the end, they'll go to the government and say, I'm tapped out, got no money, got no income, got no assets, pay up. And the government will. They'll pay 2000 a month or something around there, less or more. But that 2000 a month is half of what an average home would cost to stay in. So if you're going to go to the government, Medicare, Medicaid, and say, I'm poor, pay for me, they will. But that two grand a month is only going to afford you a substandard place. The people that we work with, we do not do government, Medicare, Medicaid. We do private pay. So that's an individual who has Social Security coming in. They probably worked with a company for 30, 40 years of their widowed spouse did who passed away. They've got a pension plan. They probably also have a home that they bought for 20 grand and now it's worth 400 grand. They own it free and clear. They've got equity in the home. They've got assets of different kinds. So all of that income and assets that they have on a personal private basis are used to pay for their care. The average person in assisted living today is $3,750 per month, private room, assisted living nationwide. And depending on where you're at, Dallas is one thing. I was in San Diego last week. I'll be in you know, Philadelphia, the, every city is different. Some are more expensive than others. But really, I mean, I was in San Diego, like I said, just last week and asked a group of 180 people in front of me, do you know what it costs to stay in here? Do you have personal experience? Those who raised their hand, 30 or 40 of them, 4,000, 8,000, 6,000, 7,000, 12,000 per month is what they paid or are paying now for assisted living for a family member. Wow. And the other listening or saying exactly that. Wow. How do you do that? Where's the money come from? And the bottom line is that we love mom. We love dad. We're going to take care of them. We're going to pay for them, whether it's at a guilt obligation or pure unadulterated love, we're going to pay for it. We're going to take care of it. So it starts with the seniors assets. Once that's liquidated, then the kids who are 50, 60, they're the ones who are going to pay out of their own pocket. And that's I'm going to tell, I want everybody to hear me clearly early on in this conversation. You're going to get involved in assisted living one way or the other. Either the real estate, the business, or you or a family member is going to be lying in a bed writing a check. Right. Do you want to write a check or receive 10 checks? That's your choice. Does the income per person, per senior staying in your facility change based on the number of people within the property? In other words, if you have a property with uh, let's say three people, three seniors in it. Um, is it is it a certain dollar amount per person? Um, and does that change if you had let's say six or ten people in the property? In other words, is that amount per person the same whether you have three, six, or ten people, or does it go down because you have more people within the same property? So here's what it's based on. It is based on supply and demand, just like everything is. Okay. So. Given that we have uh, numbers that I just gave you as the average, if I'm the only home in town, that doesn't mean I can charge 100 grand a month because the market can't bear it. Sure. So supply and demand. But having said that, the sweet spot is four to eight thousand dollars per month. Those are the clientele that I'm looking for. That private pay, two grand is Medicare, Medicaid. I can't make enough money to pay the bills and pay caregivers and and pay for a nice house. 
Above that, 10, 12, 15, 20,000 a month, there are people that pay that, but there's too few of them for me to build a business model around. Right. So the sweet spot is at four to 8,000. Now, here's the reality. If my home is licensed for three people, you're not going to make money. That's not the way to do this. A lot of people who are saying, let me just do this on my own, they get a small house, say, let me get three people, hire one caregiver, and they end up just creating a, a lot of work and effort and spinning your wheels. You really need to have eight, 10, 12 people in that home paying that average of four to $8,000 per person. Now you can do it on less, but if you've got, if you're licensed for 10, easy math, and you're averaging $5,000 per person, that's 50,000 of gross income. My expenses might be 20,000 and with the real estate, call it 25,000. So if I've got 10 people in there, I'm making 25,000 net each month. That's a beautiful thing. If I've got three people in there, I'm losing money. So I've got to be, to some extent, full, right? At least 60% full. And that's one of our benchmarks that we teach people and train you on. One of the benchmarks is 60% occupied. If you're doing it properly, you break even. Everything above that is profit. Now, you're never going to be full all the time. So you got to bake in something in there. And ultimately, what I'm looking for is 30% of the gross income to fall to the bottom line is profit. So there's a lot of similarities with traditional residential real estate investing. You've got vacancy allowance, you've got maintenance and repairs, you've got property management. In this case, you've got an operator, which is a good segue to, you know, my next question. And that is, how are these managed? Who, who is the provider or the operator? You know, with traditional real estate, you have a property management company. That's not the case here. You, this is far more specialized. Where do you go for that, that service? Well, number one, and thank you for making the distinction, this is a service-oriented business. It's not a rental home. So when we say service-oriented business, I was at a restaurant last night. Uh, the restaurant, when we go into a restaurant, there's a manager. That manager may or may not be on site, but they're responsible. Then yeah. they have a house manager, so in front of the room, back of the room. They got a chef. They got wait staff. All of that team playing together, the staff, is what we look at and say, I like this place, don't like it. It's not the building. The building is empty. It's just, you know, black walls and exposed AC and tables and chairs. It's, it's everything else that goes into it. So the manager is one of your key components. I don't know if you've ever had the experience calling a company like GoDaddy, I think is a great example. GoDaddy. You call them and talk to anybody in customer service. They're awesome. I mean, they're just great. I yep. love them. I always tell them that. And you know, that comes from the top, the manager at the top, their whole culture and system on the way down. Is, it's great. So that's the way we want our business to be. It's the same thing. It's not just the building. It's the, the business. So the manager is key and critical to your success. Right. Okay. I guess the question now becomes how, how common is that type of operation or that service provider? I mean, I'm not doing it myself. You're not doing it yourself. You have to hire the people to do this. Well, right now, there's between thirty and 40,000 of these homes in operation in the U.S., most of them, 80%, are mom and pop operations. What that means is it's a house. The kids moved out. Mom and pop still live in the house. They got extra bedrooms. They say, hey, we got three extra bedrooms. Let's rent it out to three seniors for five a month. We'll make some extra food, do some extra laundry. We'll be the manager, the baker, the cook, the baker, the candlestick maker. <laughs> That's what 80% of them do. We do it differently. We find the right location. We get the right house. We do what we need to do. We hire the manager. So your question now is, well, how many of those managers are right. there? Find them. 
Well, number one, if you come to our class, there'll be people sitting in that room who want to be that manager, who maybe are saying, I need a real estate investor. I'll be the manager. You be the real estate owner. So there's a a partnership in the waiting right there. In your location, wherever that may be, there are schools that train managers and caregivers. You could go to them and say, do you know somebody? I think word of mouth referrals are your best way of hiring anybody. Certainly, you can go to Indeed.com and Jobs.com and all those other sources. But I'd rather say, hey, Marco recommended this person. That's good for me. Let yeah. me meet him face to face. So there are managers out there. A lot of them are or were caregivers. Now they're managers. They have that skill set and qualification. And that's the person you're looking to hire. So here's the entrepreneur in me coming out with this question. When I hire these people, are they employees of mine W-2, are they 1099 contractors or are these service providers that have run their own businesses and I'm just simply contracting their services and bringing them into my property? So let's go down all three routes uh, because as an entrepreneur and you and I both are, we're always trying to save money and figure out how we can do this most efficiently. Sure. If I hire outside, I'm going to hire a company who's going to provide those caregivers to me and they charge me $23 an hour, but pay their caregivers $12 an hour. The rest is their overhead and profit. I'm going to spend way too much in labor, can't do it profitably. So I can't go there for economic reasons. I just can't make it work. It's doubling my cost and it's not worth it. Second, independent contractors. Gene, if I call them independent contractors, then I don't have to pay taxes and workman's comp and so on. Correct. But if you do and they're not, they're actually employees, then you are responsible for their taxes. And if they get hurt, you're responsible. So I'm not willing to take the risk. What makes an employee versus independent contractor? The moment you say, here's your schedule, you got to show up at 6.30 a.m. That's right. They're an employee. So there's all kinds of people, moms and pops, like I just said, who own these homes, hire people as an independent contractor, as a live-in somebody. They're paying them something. But if they were to get called on the carpet by the Department of Labor, they're out of business. It's going to the penalties and all of the rest will crush them. We operate as a business, train our students to do the same. Now get this, the caregiver is an employee because you got to show up here and you got to be done by here. That's written in stone that you got to. The manager, that's different. My managers, they're independent contractors because I don't care if they're there at nine o'clock and leave at five. You just got to get the job done and you need to be available 24-7. Because when a call comes at midnight, I'm not taking it. You are. Right. So those people, my managers, I literally have them set up their own entity, an LLC. Then I pay the entity. They take their tax write-offs and they get whatever's left. Interesting. Okay. So I have properties in different cities around the country. So if I already own a home, a rental, can I use that rental for this program? Can I kind of retrofit it or change it to become an assisted living facility or do I have to start fresh with a new property? The short answer is yes, you can. The better answer is just because you can doesn't mean you should. (laughs) Right. Okay. Good answer. This isn't the field of dreams. If I build it, they will come. It's all about the location. I've had people come to me that didn't come to my training. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Who say, Hey, I got a great house for this. And I go see their house and you're, you're right. It's a beautiful house. You did an amazing job problem, it's in the wrong location. You're never going to get a resident. You're never going to get a caregiver to come out here. Uh, If somebody gave you the house for free and it's in the wrong location, run. It's just, it's not going to work. It's got to be in the right location. 
So when I say right location, the next question everybody should be thinking is, well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean on the golf course, on the ocean front, or in a hilltop. It means demographically. Is it in a neighborhood of upper middle income people? If it's on the low end, it's on the wrong side of the tracks and people there are on welfare. Nobody who has money to pay for private pay is going to drop mom off in that house. So I've cut out my market. If it's in the the hills, Beverly Hills, Rodeo, Rodeo Drive, it's the most expensive home. It's a $20, $30 million home. Number one, those people can afford it, but they can also afford a private doctor and nurse to live in the house with them. And the real estate is going to be way too expensive. So we have a system. Level one is the bottom. Level five is the top. Level three, four, that's our sweet spot. That's what we're really looking for. That is the demographic. So it's upper middle income to get specific because I know you like depth on the the info. You know, twice the average income. If you're the average income in the state is sixty thousand dollars per household, I want to be in a neighborhood where it's twice that, a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty. Sure. I want a neighborhood that's not near the college campus where the average age is thirty years old, because their parents are only fifty. They're not in assisted living. I want to be in a neighborhood where the average people that live there are 50, 60 because their parents are 80, 90. That's where I want to have that house, upper income, proper age, because they're going to move mom and dad into a house in that neighborhood that we're going to operate as the residential assisted living. And they're going to be paying that four, six, eight thousand a month. Yeah. So it's about affordability, not meaning that it's inexpensive, but can people afford to live there? So it's really a demographic question. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. It's it, This is a fascinating concept and there's different ways to be involved with this. And so, you know, I personally am going to look into it further with you because I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the opportunity here, both personally and as well as a syndication. Before I ask you to tell us about the Academy, is there anything else that you'd like to share or something I didn't ask you that I probably should have, you know, in, in this interview? You know, one of the things that I want to do is just kind of compare this to other opportunities. You've got a sophisticated, you know, listener base that's listening to you. You're really sharp, Marco, on what you do and your understanding. And I think all of us want to be at the right place at the right time. It's about timing and opportunity. Sure. So what we tend to attract is people that have experience, that they've done real estate for a while. They maybe have had a business for a while. And they're probably a little bit older. They're not 20. They're maybe 30, 40, 50. And they're not looking for the next thing. They're looking for the last thing. The last big move where I can I can just I'm all in. So when we think about the big cycles, we started the conversation with what is the big demographic move? We talked about the big scale, the pig through the python on the the baby boomers and so on, but cyclical. Real estate is cyclical. Mm-hmm. And I think we're closer to the top of the current cycle than we are at the bottom. We've had a great run, you know, but it's been a great run for a long time. And Some markets are pretty frothy, right? There's people bidding up properties. There's auctions where there's hundreds of, it's back to 2006. You know, it's, it's right where it was. So to me, you look at it and go, wow, I can give you 30 reasons why everything could crumble and drop 30%. I can't give you a lot of reasons why it's just going to keep going up and up and up. Now our economy is good. It's strong. People are happy. Confidence is up. It's all good in every aspect for just about everybody. So that's all good. But I'm just saying closer to the top than the bottom. I think apartments are great investments, but timing is key. Right now, cap rates have gotten crushed and the there's people buying C properties with a four cap and a six cap. I mean, it used to be, if I'm going to go down to a C level property, I better get 10, 12, 14% caps. I, I'm not going to, but now people are doing it with four and 6% and not even California people. That's right. So to me, it's just, wow, it's a great time to sell. Maybe not a great time to buy. But the numbers always work. So let's segue to what we do. 
I love what you do, by the way, the model of you're doing the hard work. Here's a, a fully loaded fixed property loaded with a tenant. You just come in, walk in, we take care of it all. Right. That's an easy, simple solution that you are really helping people with. Thank you for doing that. But bigger picture, I really don't care what the property costs. Whether it's worth a million or 200000 it's all about the cash flow. If I'm making ten grand a month net after all expenses, whether the property is worth 800000 or 400000 doesn't affect me. So the economy aside, the cycles aside, what I'm looking for is the right location. I want the numbers to work. The clients, the demand is good now, and it's getting better and better and better. We're at the right place at the right time. Gretzky, the great one, we just had a hockey, the Washington Capitals, the, the championship, but you know, the great one, Gretzky, how, how come you're so good? It's simple. I go where the puck is going. The puck is going not to mega mansions, not to you know, 8,000 square foot homes. It's going to smaller where people are in control. There's one or two bedrooms where a millennial can move in with a friend or be by themselves. A senior doesn't want a 3,000 square foot colonial with a big staircase. They want a single level, one level. They want to be in control and some of them need help. They don't want to live alone. They want companions, peers of their own age. Everything is going to the future and the future is getting older, graying, silver tsunami. And you have a real opportunity right now, everybody listening to be at the right place at the right time, ahead of the curve, on top of the wave, not getting crushed by it. You have to follow trends and you have to pay attention to demographics. You know, that's so important in anything you do, any kind of investing, no matter what it is. And I think you have the right idea here. You made me think of one more question as you were talking. And that is, you know, we were talking about markets and and every market is local. There's, you know, over 400 markets in the U.S. and they all move independently of each other. So I, I like to look at what each markets are doing. I look at those trends within those markets, but it's not just price. It, it It's a lot of different things. And one of those things are rental rates, how they compare to price appreciation or depreciation. My question to you is how sensitive are the fees that are being charged or paid for by these seniors that are staying in the properties relative to the market cycle, meaning economically and the real estate cycle? Is there any correlation there or are these just completely disconnected? Well, when it gets to markets that are higher, more expensive than others, the rates for assisted living are higher. And that's just, it's a given. Uh, when, when they raise minimum wage and the government is so stupid at what they do so many times, but they're like, oh, <laughs> it's only going to affect 3% of the people. Nope. Everybody who it works, it gets a raise because if they're making eight bucks and now they're getting 10 bucks, the person who's making $9 is saying, I want 11. Everybody gets a raise. So all of that just gets passed on to the resident as well. So everything is economically driven. It is all tied together. But when it comes to certain markets, and here's the part as real estate investors, I would just want you to think differently. As real estate investors, we think it's all about the real estate, the tax deductions, the appreciation, all of that. But in this, it's not. It's about the business and the cash flow. The need is there. The demand is there. The people will pay it because they love mom. They're going to liquidate their own home before they say, well, mom, you move out and take care of yourself. They're not going to give up their job to take care of mom. So the point is the clientele is there. The money is there. If the whole economy goes to crap, yeah, everybody's going to pull back to an extent, but we just went through a great recession. How did it affect our industry? It maybe held some people off from not moving into assisted living for a little bit longer until the economy did recover, but it didn't affect vacancy rates very much. It pretty much held stable. It was a few points different, but we just went through a major recession. 
But also when it comes to the real estate that we're doing our business in, it's cheaper sometimes to rent than it is to own. So if I'm in an expensive market and I can buy the house for $2 million or I can rent it for 8000 a month, 10000 a month, I'm a renter and I'm fine with that. I'll have an option to buy. So if and when the market comes down and that property is now worth you know, $1.5 million instead of $2 million, now I'll exercise my option. But being a renter can work for you. So the property value aside, when we're, when we're looking at what the, uh, the um, I don't want to call them a tenant, but resident, the yeah. resident, whatever they're paying per month, is that, how sensitive is that to the change in real estate values in the market? The, I mean, is it, does it move up and down um, no. with the market or is it determined and dictated by other factors? It's not affected by that. It's just like your apartment complex. If all of a sudden you bought it for twelve million, now it's worth fifteen million. That doesn't mean that every every tenant's paying you thirty percent more. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So no, th- I find that there's a there's not a tight correlation between property price or value and what we collect for rents. I, I do find rents lag behind the changes in in market value. But with this, this is a little different. This is a slightly different animal, and, and it's it's really not tied to market rents. It's tied to you know what is the going rate for assisted living residencies, and I don't know who determines that. Well, it's all about what somebody can afford. Like there's markets right now. Like if I was to pick one, say Missouri. Missouri is one of the lowest averages for assisted living costs in the nation. So let's just say it's uh, twenty eight hundred dollars for the state. So per month on average, 2,800 low, but there's people who are in Missouri right now who can afford much more than that, who would not even consider staying in that place. That's 2,800 bucks. So they're looking for that place. That's 6,000 a month. They're able to afford it and they're not going to do anything less than that. Right. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so tell us about your academy. What is it all about? What What are people going to learn? You know, and I, I want to clue people in, in the show notes, check them if you haven't already. We're going to give you a link. And that link, Marco and I had a great conversation beforehand, is actually a training, a free training that we're going to give you complete access to. I, I have the privilege of traveling around the country. That's pretty much what I do, whether it be on a cruise ship with you and Robert Kiyosaki and the real estate guys, or whether it be a RIA in different locations. But when I travel around, uh, sometimes I, I only do it a half dozen times a year where I'll, I'll do a five-hour training. And that five-hour training, I boiled it down to an hour and 15 minutes with a lot of meat in there. And then I took that and broke it down into seven segments so nobody has any excuse. I can't sit for an hour and 15 minutes. If you want that training, it's free. It's in the show notes. Just click on the link and that'll answer a ton of questions for you. If you want more information after that, which I know you will, There's two opportunities. We do a home study course, and that's three courses, 36 lessons, very complete. Or the better way, come to a live training. We do it eight times a year in Phoenix, Arizona. The reason why we do it in Phoenix is you actually come to my homes. You get in a bus, come to see my homes, be my manager, my caregivers, my residents. And the context for the content, seeing it from the inside out, is the very best way to learn this. That sounds great. It's amazing. And I appreciate you making that offer. So yes, we'll put that in the show notes. And I encourage people listening to this, if if you're even half interested or half curious about how this works and the profit potential from it, definitely check it out. If nothing else, you'll get an education, a free education at that. And it'll just expand your mind. Look, you know, look at different opportunities that are out there, not just, you know, plain vanilla rentals. So, Gene, I think we did a great job here today. Is there anything else you want to mention? I just want to finish with 
you know, I want everybody who's listening here to really think about why you do what you do. I, I think in real estate, so many times, Marco, we just get caught up in the money. There's great money to be made and it's fun fixing and flipping and but why? Why do we do what we do? And the older I get, the more important this becomes. I deal with people who are aging all the time and they look back in life with the regrets that they wish they did this, and wish they did that. I don't meet people who regret things they did. It's only the things they didn't do. So I'm just encouraging everybody who's listening is to find out what your passion is. Why do you do what you do and dig in and focus on that? Everything else is a waste of time. It's not about the money. It's what are you doing with this? For me, it's it's teaching others how to do this. I'm doing it. I've got my money. I've got it. But there's millions of people that need this help all over the country. So I'm spending a lot of my time effort teaching others how they can help these people and make great money. Our motto is do good and do well. You can do good helping a lot of people do well financially. You know, making 10, 20, 30,000 a month with a couple of these homes is all most people need. Really, do you need more than that? Do you need thousands of employees or millions? I don't. If you do, God bless you, go for it. I'm your biggest fan. But I've got grandkids, so I want to spend time. You figure out what your why is, find your passion, and go for it. Well said, Gene. I couldn't have said it any better myself. So thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show. This has been incredible. I'm excited to look into this a little further for myself personally. And I encourage everyone listening to uh, take advantage of that you know, free video training that we're making available here. So Gene, thank you so much. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you again real soon. Looking forward to it, Marco. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Well, that about wraps it up. If you are interested in that free course that Gene was talking about, which is an introduction to the lucrative world of residential assisted living, be sure to go to the following link, passiverealestateinvesting.com forward slash assisted living. So it's really the same website for our podcast forward slash assisted living. And other than that, if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, please do so. Just It's easy to do it on an iPhone and in iTunes. I'm not sure what you are using, but uh, just click that subscribe button and then you can kind of set it and forget it. It'll always update you with new episodes. That's about it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We have an Ask Marco section on our website. And I want to thank you once again for listening and for making us a top 20 podcast on iTunes. We will see you on the next episode. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.